Lafayette, Indiana, and I uh, work as the logistics director at APL Cargo, uh, which is a trucking company, and I'm also a relationship manager for Heartland Payment Systems, uh, which is where I worked for about the last two years. And I just started my job at APL a little over a month ago now, actually. So, still getting my feet wet there, figuring so out how that all works. We yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty fortuitous that that we waited to. To meet and, and, and do this because now I have something new and exciting to, mm-hmm. to kind of touch on. I always tell people for the podcast, I always say, I want to do it again in about a year right. and see what's different, what's changed, yeah. what's, you know. Um, but yeah, so what's that like starting that new job that you've only done for a month? Uh, it's definitely very interesting. You know, it's, it's fast paced. Um, I really like being in the transportation industry. Uh, it was very interesting kind of how the opportunity came about. I, uh, through my job at Heartland, I've done a lot of uh, networking in general, right? Because I'm, I'm an outside sales there. And so, like, just every every interaction you make with someone could potentially go somewhere. So you want to always be, always be networking, always be looking for opportunities to meet new people. And just, like, that's the kind of personality I have anyway. I just... I like being new people. I like getting to know know folks and what makes them tick, and you know, just kind of being alive in the community. I guess you could say. I 100% agree. It's being a real estate agent, it's kind of the same thing. Every, right. Every conversation counts. Even mm-hmm. if, yeah, you never know what what it might lead to, and it could be five, ten years down the road. You know, and, you, and you're not even necessarily quote playing the long game. But you you just like always have that bearing in mind in the back of your mind that you know something could come out of every interaction, and so yeah. you're always always looking for good opportunities to to meet people, and then not only not not just so you can see what they can do for you, but also you know you want to look and see you know what can I do for you because um, then that I think kind of accelerates the timeline on when they might want to do something for you. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, that's another thing that is kind of real estate related. Yeah. You really do have to give people, I, I don't know if you would say give them information. You have to be valuable. To yes, people. yeah. yeah, yeah. You, 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 provide, you, you create or provide value mm-hmm. for someone else. And then that puts you on their radar, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, like, I'm in a networking organization called BNI, Business Networking International, and their motto is "Givers Gain." 
And you know the whole philosophy behind it is that if you give other people referrals, they will in turn give them to you. Um, and so you know it definitely has that kind of um, who do you tick refer to, it. to though? Who do you refer out to other? Right. So like uh, we've got people in, in my in my chapter who come from all sorts of different um, trades and professions, and and one one unique thing about BNI is that each chapter of that organization is this international. Um, organization in, in lots and lots of countries, but each chapter can only have one company from each professional classification. So, like, you can only have one residential realtor, only one um, uh, pest control company. You can only have one um, limousine service, or you know, or, or handyman, or HVAC company, or That's plumber. Kind of networking something, right? It's yeah. like a networking. I, I want to say networking club. I know that's not essentially, right. yeah. And yeah. so, like, it's 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 a networking and referral club, essentially. So, mm-hmm. business networking international is what the acronym stands for. Um, but the whole purpose of, of each meeting is to invite visitors because the the more people you expose to your group, the more people that might want to join. But also, they they might see a business in your group that they want to do business with. You guys so, got a real estate agent yet? Uh, we, we do have a we do have a, a residential realtor. Um, we do not have a commercial realtor. Augustus. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, we share an office now. I just yep. moved in with them. Oh, so, so you're on the one on Main Street now? Yes. Okay, yeah, cool. We, okay. I still use this. Now this is my podcast office, but we used yeah. to have an office in here, and right. we just switched over to the Okay, cool, office. yeah. So Nate actually was in my B&I chapter. Uh, I think he was in there when I first joined four years ago. Makes sense. Yeah. Is it cool if we mention him on here? They, they okay with their yeah, name on here? The, yeah. Mar- Pretty sure. the Marquee group, they're both, I like both of them a lot. They don't really know me that well. They know who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, they said they would do this podcast, too. They're like the number, all right, all right. I don't know if yeah. they're number one, but they're top commercial agents around here. Yeah, they're Nate's like, a good guy. Mm-hmm. and uh, I know Andrew a lot better than Nate. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and Nate and Andrew... Um, we're both kind of there all on the way when I actually bought a commercial property um, back in 2018, I think it was. Uh, and then uh, we also turned around and sold that in, in 2020 um, for reasons. Right. <laughs> um, COVID-related reasons, we'll say. You actually bought it, though? You didn't lease it? Uh, well, I, I, I bought... Uh, a 14.7 acre tract of land in West Lafayette that I had intentions to develop into a, a pretty elaborate commercial complex. Um, and then when things kind of changed a lot with COVID in terms of not only where I was working, but, you know, just financial picture and everything and then, 2020 you know. was a wild year no really was yeah. yeah like i i, I oh, yeah. could not have predicted a single thing that happened no. in my life that year <laughs> no for everybody it was yeah just, it shook the whole world up right yeah and so so you know i i wish that i would have been able to follow through with what my goal was on that property but you know nate was my was my buying agent when I when I got it, and then he was my selling agent when I sold it, and he took good care of me. So I bet you were making yeah. him smile. I said, "Oh, I'm sure. Right yeah, there. yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure he was real happy with how it worked out." <laughs> he's a good dude. He's I like agents that are straight up and honest with people, yeah. and I've never had them as an agent, but yeah, he was. Easy I, to work I get with. that. Yeah, I get that vibe from them that they don't. They're not your typical salespeople. Right. They 
And they're both so experienced. I mean, they both. Yeah. I don't know if they're number one, but they got to be up there, you know. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised, you know, mm-hmm. just having worked with them. So, um, but but yeah, you know, so just kind of you know interesting that you work for the same um, agency. Yeah, I don't work uh, with them, but yeah. they're the only ones that are in that commercial. Mm-hmm place downtown that's pretty much their building yeah, it's like um, 622 main i think or something like that. yeah it's yeah. it's on main i don't remember the exact address but um i thought about doing the first podcast i thought about this being the first podcast over there it's just parking is so terrible yeah it's a little yeah. hard to find find good parking and i there. think visually this building looks nicer not to diss that building but well, you can actually appreciate this one from a distance. You know, you can't mm-hmm. go you can't go further than two lanes across the street. To, to yeah, especially with that construction right across the street. They yeah, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, um, but anyway, so I guess you know, backtracking a little bit. So, uh, commercial re- realtor, you know, that would be a classification within the chapter. And so, when I first joined BNI four years ago, uh, I was at that time working at Reindeer Shuttle, so I joined under the. Um, you know, kind of limousine and charter services seat. And then in 2020, when I went to work at Heartland, I switched over to financial services, credit card processing. And, and you, then, weren't, you weren't just working at Reindeer Shuttle. You were the CEO. You were the president until you were mm-hmm. talking before this all got deleted. Right. Um, <laughs> your dad became the president. and you mm-hmm. were the, But you were still... Right, yeah. I was pretty much in charge of all the operations side of, of the business at Reindeer Shuttle. Uh, and so they all, you know, the, the main reason I had left when I did was because COVID turned the passenger transportation industry completely upside down. And I saw the writing on the wall. I was like, you know, there's no way my parents are going to be able to afford to pay my salary here. So I should just go find something else to do. So I stepped down in May of 2020 and, and took my uh, job at Heartland, uh, which was a commission only job, which is a little bit of a hard pill to swallow when you've been on a, on a set salary for for yeah. a while. Um you- but I yeah, you hustle. You eat when you kill. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And so, um, so I've I've been very fond of my time at Heartland so far. Um, but you know, the the commission only structure is you know admittedly difficult um, to to work and live on. And so, just kind of bringing that networking picture kind of full circle. Um, in December, I was at a Greater Lafayette Commerce uh, event. Uh, it was the Rise and Shine Breakfast. Uh, it was only my second time going to that because I went to the one in November when they rebooted it because they had been on a, kind of a hiatus from from COVID. I've never been to that though. That sounds yeah, it's it's, it's, it's pretty fun. Only thing, uh, no, it's uh, any chamber member can attend, and uh, it's like fifteen dollars, I think. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, and so I'm trying to do more this year, do more networking events, and yeah, um, it's definitely worth it. This podcast helps a lot too, man. Yeah, and being friends with all kinds of business owners now. So exactly, yeah, it's a and so, um, so I went to Rise and Shine, and then there were um, there were two guys that got introduced as part of the you know new members of the chamber, and uh, they got introduced as, as as Mark and Stephen from APL Cargo, and you know I parked up. I was like, oh, trucking company, you know, like because having worked in the transportation industry, you know, like I just I have this natural affinity to gravitate towards people in that industry because I. You know, there's this like you know misery loves company sort of thing, yeah, yeah. where it's like, oh, you have to deal with all the DOT you know rules and regulations too. So you know, like cargo and passenger transportation, they're they're related but also very different. 
But you um, still are going through a lot of the same. Yeah, stuff. all the same regulatory compliance issues. You have to you have to look at safety in the same way as they do, and you know, recruiting drivers. So like, I just immediately I identified like, oh, I should go introduce myself to those guys and just you know, on the basis of the fact that I worked in the industry, I understand, I can empathize. You know, I, I want them to know who I am and 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 vice versa, right? These are solid business cards too. I like the, I like this one a lot. Isn't that cool? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's like the premium uh, version. They they let us order two different two different types. Where did you? I don't even know. I use a Keller Williams one for right. My yeah. Cards. So Heartland actually prints them from from their own own office, the corporate headquarters, I guess. And so we have like a internal company store where we go and. Uh, order those, and you can order the just like plain ones with nothing on the back, mm-hmm. or I think on the back it's just some plain white. This is entrepreneurs respectfully serving entrepreneurs, which is kind of their mantra. Um, or you can order the premium ones, which has kind of that like textured feel to it, and then it has that same um, tagline or mantra on the back, but it's more of like an embossed look. So, um, have you seen Josh Edwards' new business card? I don't think he's shown me his new one yet. For, for his PI business? Yes. Which I don't know how that's doing. I need to follow up with him, see if... Do you know if he's kind of... We can cut it out, too. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm not sure where he, where he stands on it right now, but I, I do check in with him from from time to time, and, you know, he's obviously got the, the baby at home now, too, so... Oh, uh, that's right. right. Yeah, he did have his kid. Yeah. Yeah, can you imagine that? Josh Edwards is a father. <laughs> Uh, that's probably about right because I think he's just a couple years younger than me, so he's probably probably right around thirty or or maybe just on this side of it. Because I'm thirty four. Thirty four. I'm twenty five. Yeah. A baby. <laughs> yeah, you got the baby face to go with it yeah, too, huh? I appreciate that. Well, well, you know, I I have a baby face, uh, which is also why I have a pretty stellar beard. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> with, with that kind of beard, though, it does, I, you can't really see that you have a baby Exactly, face right. It's, it's, it's totally deceptive. So, mm-hmm. like, I, I I get to play more to my age with the beard, but if I were to shave it all off, I'd look 14 years You'd old. You'd be a whole you different know? person. Yeah. 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 Like <laughs> yeah, like, I probably couldn't buy spray paint. <laughs> if I didn't have a beard, you know. I wanted a long beard like yours. It's just mine gets so orange, and I don't know why I hate it. But That's like rule so number seven of growing a beard. You become more ginger the longer it gets. So. <laughs> I don't want a big ginger beard like that, though. But. <laughs> no, see, like my my hair is very brown, mm. um, but but I I get mistaken for you know being more quote unquote ginger all the time just because of the beard I think and it's just something. No, I would say brown. But yeah. I, I can kind of see why people say Yeah, that. but also when the sun hits it a certain way it can kind of get that kind of red That's tinge mine. to if it. If I'm out in the sun my beard is bright orange and I'm right. like, man, do I got to dye it? What do I got to do? Uh-huh. I got to be blonde. Nah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no offense to genders out there. I don't mean that. Like that. <laughs> but only the ones with souls, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so worried about getting canceled nowadays on this podcast. Oh, I always man. say stuff. I'm like, man, jokes I, are I, jokes. Yeah. yeah, I just you know, if people can take you know, understand a joke for what it is, then hopefully, hopefully nowadays it's, people can. It's good. People don't take jokes. I mean. I'm yeah. constantly getting Sometimes, canceled on my friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I keep telling you this, like, don't cancel ourselves. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, oh gosh, where was 
I, but... Uh, what, what's your ties with Texas? Why? You oh, sure, yeah. yeah. So I grew up in Texas. Oh, um, you did? I thought you were from Lafayette, but that makes sense. You came from Texas for Purdue. Exactly, which right. Which is why... Yeah, so why I, was, I was actually born in Pennsylvania, but my family moved to Texas before I was even a year old, so I don't really consider good. myself a native Pennsylvanian in any way. Yeah. Um, so I'm not quite born and raised in Texas, but for all intents and purposes, I'm really from Texas. So I was like seven or eight months old when my family moved there. Dallas, right? The Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, so I was in kind of a suburb of Fort Worth. And in Texas, you measure everything by minutes, not miles. And so I was about 20 minutes from Fort Worth and 25 minutes from Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. And, you know, 45 minutes from Six Flags over Texas. You know, like nice. the, you know, we measure everything in time there. Um, and really, like the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, they call it. Like if you were to look at it, you know, from an airplane lit up at night, you'd be pretty much looking at the footprint of the state of Connecticut in terms of how big it is. So, really? Like, so driving across town is like the equivalent of someone in Connecticut driving across the state. Yeah. I always said that Dallas-Fort Worth Airport was the most complex airport in the United States. It's, 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 hard it's to definitely pretty, pretty um, complicated for anyone who's unfamiliar with it. Yeah. Uh, like having grown up in its, in its shadow, essentially, like it never bothered me. Mm-hmm. But now having been to lots of other airports, I, I look back at that and go, oh, yeah, I can see why people have a hard time getting here. Like <laughs> Atlanta's way bigger, and I thought Atlanta was so much easier to maneuver mm-hmm. than Dallas. Yeah, Atlanta's just... Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. but it's not it's just but big. not complicated. No, right? I, but just just huge. I don't travel a lot, but I've never really had any problems with airports. I haven't been to any crazy ones, right. though, but for the most part, they usually keep it pretty simple. They have mm-hmm. a system. This is your flight. Right. This is the letter. This is the number. Yep. Just look forward, and you can tell where you're going. Yeah, so, yeah, and like, and if you've ever flown out of Indianapolis, they keep it real simple. There's two terminals. That's my main- you the know. only airport I really know by exactly right, yeah. yeah. And so, like that, that's like a like a really nice beginner level yeah. airport for anyone <laughs> to get familiar with. Yeah. And then O'Hare is pretty complicated compared to that. But then you know Dallas, it's like you literally have a uh, a state highway running in between sets of terminals, and uh-huh. so there's like a tram and bus system, and um, and people are f- since COVID. Uh-huh. Texas has just blown up. Same with Lafayette, but right. yeah. everyone's and, going to Texas now. Yeah, and, and that's really a trend that, that started um, a long time ago, I guess I would say. And I'm not sure. There's probably a lot of economic factors that drive that, but one obvious glaring one is that there's no state income tax in, in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, same as Florida and I think New Hampshire and maybe a couple of other states. Um, but yeah, when, nice. when there's no state income tax, people are like, oh, really? You know, and, and the reality is the government's going to get their, their money one way or the other. And, and in Texas, they happen to get it through higher property taxes and sales tax. But, you know, I know a big you, you feel better about it when, <laughs> when you're not getting it taken out of your paycheck. Freedoms, too. I know some states where you can't get a haircut and ta- Texas was... Mm-hmm. Come over here, do whatever you want. You know? Yeah, it, it, you know, the, it, it is very much the Wild West still in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, and you were a pest control technician. I don't want to let that slide because... Yeah, speaking of Wild West, oh my God. Yeah, what, what kind of beasts did you deal with over there? Snakes, I'm sure? Actually, you know what? I don't think I ever had a snake call. Um, and, and, and really, it was a summer job that I did where it was like one year I was a 
pest control salesman, and then the next year I, I did sales, but also they were short on technicians, and so I convinced them to put me in a truck, and I would go out. And, so you were mostly the sales guy. Yeah, I was. I was going door to door in in the in the yeah. Texas summer, <laughs> and uh, would knock on people's door and sell them a pest control contract. And when I had the truck with me, I could literally just point down the street and be like. If you want to start now, that's my truck. <laughs> so. what, what would you say to someone that, what's a pest control contract? If you don't have pests, mm-hmm. most people wouldn't sign up for that, I wouldn't think. Sure, yeah. Well, you know, you, you, you try to, especially in, in a, a sales uh, job like pest control, you try to play on people's fears. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't always have that in other types of sales, but when it comes to, to pests, you know, a lot of people just have the, a natural fear of different types of critters, right? So, you know, whether it's spiders, ants, snakes. Or you, mosquitoes you, you treated it. with, with uh, that or not. Yeah, and, and you can do certain types of mosquito treatment. The thing is, they don't last very long. You I know. know. I worked for a little bit, and that was one of their big things was mosquito control. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably cut it out of the podcast, but from what, <laughs> I, could, from what I could see, it doesn't matter if you... Spread, paid money for that or not? Right. Yeah. I mean, a few few cycles of rain and uh, you know, yeah. it's it's done. Right. But and all they do is spray different trees and bushes. Mm-hmm. So it's like they yeah. can still make nests anywhere other than right. Yeah. And any sort of standing water is going to invite them, mm-hmm. and you know anything like that. Um, biggest defense against mosquitoes is running water. You know, like running water. Yeah. yeah well, it's like they 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 can't um, they can't. Nest or lay, or lay eggs in, in running water, but but they're they'll uh, they're brood, I guess. Uh, you know, it, it it needs standing water in order to kind of. Um, Did you when you were the technician? Was yeah. it mostly bed bugs and stuff like that, or was it animals like? Uh, it was it was mostly insects, uh, mm-hmm. and so bed bugs were part of part of that. You know, we did we did have to treat for fleas and bed bugs and stuff like that sometimes and. And when someone had bed bugs, that was a really intense um, kind of treatment for it. You know, you had to tell them to get out of the house, stay out for a while, or you're going to treat every upholstered surface. Did you do the heating um, treatment where you melt everything in their house? We didn't. We didn't do that, but and we, and we never did like the whole like fumigate the entire structure sort of thing either. But um, but what we mostly did was preventative treatment. You know, and, and it would be things like uh, you know keeping out your your spiders and your your ants and and cockroaches and and all all the other unsavory that things that, yeah. that crawl and uh, the uh, one one common misconception I think with that industry too is that like people think that oh the first time you have someone come problem solved right mm-hmm. no <laughs> the first time your best control technician comes especially if you haven't been doing anything well they're gonna what they're gonna do is they're gonna go in and spray all sorts of areas that are you know out of the out of the way and what that'll actually do is it will stir up insect activity because oh, really? you are disrupting the areas where where they have been nesting or or, or sleeping or, or whatever um, and you're disrupting their travel pathways. And, and while you're laying down poison that when they interact with it, it will either kill them or make them sterile, depending on what type of uh, chemical you're using, the, the, you're going to actually see elevated insect activity the very first time you do a treatment because you're, you're displacing the, the critters. And so it's, 
people would often call back. They were like, oh, you guys got to come back. There's, there's way more bugs now. We're like, actually, that's... That's a good. It's a good sign that it's working, um, but you know, it's like, well, you you called us. Now you want us to deal with the dead bodies too. You know, like. <laughs> are there deadlier insects in Texas compared to Indiana? Like in Indiana, oh, I, never, I never worry about spiders around here. You know? uh, I would say just kind of on balance, probably yes, uh, just because our climate is not as friendly to a lot of those types of, of critters here. But you know, we we do obviously have. Um, some poisonous, um, you know, critters and snakes and stuff that you can encounter here, but like, you're way more likely to see um, a water moccasin in, mm-hmm. in Texas, or, or you know, or um, a, a brown recluse or a black widow. Um, you know, those are just gonna—they're gonna be more common in hot, humid environments. And I think I've only seen one black widow my entire life. Right. And that was here in Lafayette. But <laughs> if that was even a black widow, I mean, sure. I don't know. Yeah, and there are others that can look kind of similar, especially at first glance. Um, but yeah, like I, I enjoyed that work, um, but it was kind of funny, you know, we'd have these sales meetings and they'd be like, all right, guys, we want you to use this buzzword today, you know, and, and be like, and I, this is one I'll never forget. They said, they said, when you're standing on someone's porch and, and you want to really drive home the concept that, you know, you're, you're doing them a service, you're doing them a favor, you know, emphasize the fact that insects are and this is the buzzword vectors of disease and i'm like yeah that's a pretty pretty descriptive term you know and, and, and yeah exactly and so you play, play on their fears um and you know the fact is they are vectors of disease um and uh when you're in uh, a climate like northeast texas where they are everywhere it's very easy to play on that and so you know uh, that was kind of a, a, an interesting and fun job, but you know um, what we were talking about before um, with the, uh, the, the recording, the, the recording that was corrupted. Yeah, that does upset me. That's okay. It's okay. Well, it's kind of like what we were talking about. You know, like cold calling is not my favorite thing, uh, but obviously I have lots of experience. You know, I've, I've got the door to door. Yeah, you. You know, everything you do has lined up to where you are now. Right. You you take that experience with you. Mm -hmm. Because the people listening don't know, but you sent us your LinkedIn um, profile, which Mm -hmm. is very well written out, by the way. I don't know if I've seen a better LinkedIn account than if I were looking to hire somebody and they sent me yours, I would look at that in a heartbeat be like, oh, yeah, of course, you're hired. (laughs) Right, or or at a minimum, you're like, I have questions. Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was telling him when I sent it to you how your ears perked up, and you're like, bro, we got to do this one. This guy's yeah, awesome. I, I, I got an ear for the analytics part. I, right. I was an analyst in the Army, so then not nice. that, you know, that it's not very specific in the Army, so like you've sure. been able to like kind of like a pretty solid brick wall. It's not, it's only growing from here. I don't, yeah. even if we go through another... God forbid we go through a Great Depression or hour recording. Uh, cool. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I gotta look up this house. I'm sorry. I mean, y'all. between the recession and then COVID, not that COVID hurt businesses as much, but I think from like the consumer standpoint, I'm, I'm consumer, yeah. but just from middle class standpoint, it hurt. Yeah. It really. Well, and, and, like and COVID hurt businesses not all the same way either right you know like some restaurants got kicked in the restaurants nuts. yeah like service they, industry got hit hard 
Yeah, I, and especially the ones that didn't pivot, but like anyone who was already uh, equipped to handle online payments, delivery, carry out, anyone who could already do that within their infrastructure, they had a head start on everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so then anybody who has dragged their feet on implementing those sorts of things, I think they're probably the ones that are struggling more. Well, and that was one thing I know I've mentioned before, um, at least to, to Jordan, is uh, my brother, he works for Progressive, and one of the things that they did when COVID hit was they were already going to implement remote work, work from home, try to get all their employees to work from home anyway, just across the board well before right, COVID yeah. was a thing, and COVID was just the push they needed to, well, we're going to push it out early, yeah. and we're going to work out the kinks. Yeah. So. COVID has changed a lot about the world. No kidding. Yes. Yeah, that's just like there's. You could not overstate how much it has changed. <laughs> By no means at all could you yeah. overstate that. Yeah, yeah, like because I mean when I when I stepped down from my position at Reindeer Shuttle, was that a pretty hard decision to make? I'd imagine that couldn't have been. I mean, kind of. So like you know, truthfully, I had been looking for something. That would give me a good opportunity to go do something else, mostly just because, and, and I'll say this, I, I, I love my parents, I, I love my family, but like working in a family business is extremely stressful. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that everybody wears their emotions on their sleeve, right? That's like, what I was going to say. It's Like everybody's fully invested, not only in, in the relationships at the table, but in the company and in everything um, that, that you're doing. And... Um, it just it really can it can wear on you and and it's it's not a surprise to me now having worked in the family business that a lot of family businesses don't work out or like they tear families apart or whatever right and so like while my my relationship is better with my parents now than it was when I was working there like like as soon as I left it was like we started to kind of repair the the strain that it had put on us. It, it does, though, especially yeah. if you guys are working together 24-7. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming you guys yeah. didn't live together at the end of it, but right, some yeah. family businesses live in their family business, too. So they right, work and I was working 18-hour days sometimes. Yeah, so you were pretty much living yeah. with yeah, Exactly, <laughs> right, yeah. And so like, you, you just get so close to it. That, and and then when, when there are differences of opinion because you're that emotionally invested in everything, it just like everything runs hot, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I, I had been kind of reflecting on that for a while, and just going, man, I should probably find something else to do, just because it was it was wearing on me. And while I loved the work that I did, um, it just like it, I could see that the best thing for me and also for the business would be that if you know if if one of us you know were to step away from the business, that would probably be healthier for everyone involved. And that's kind of a hard pill to swallow too, because you're like, man, I like I built this. I want to be a part of it. So um, your dad still runs it then? They, my parents still still do own own awesome. operate the company. That yeah, cool. and um, and so really, what what COVID did for for as much bad that it did, it actually off, kind of offered me a little bit of a parachute, right? And so um, while I really loved the job and what I did, the the family dynamic it needed to be addressed, and so. Um, when we had pretty much 90% of our passenger base drop out from under us with, 90%? with COVID. Yeah, and, and, and like that's, 
like literally uh you had the um the governor's order to shut down businesses um and and restaurants and everything and that's that what was, everybody that thought. was the week before spring break started at purdue mm. right and so then we had probably about a 25 percent reduction in our outbound passengers versus what we were expecting and then a 90 percent reduction in expected volume for people coming back at the end of spring break so like a lot of people left for spring break and then just did not come back for the spring semester. So you had people like from California and all over the country like calling all the moving companies here in town trying to beg them, like, hey, can you go pack up my kid's dorm room into boxes and then put it into storage? You know, like like yeah. that was happening. And and so like us on the transportation side we're like, crap, there goes all of our <laughs> there goes all of our customers. Uh, and people were so Nobody really understood what COVID really was. Right. Yeah. Everybody it, it, thought. Yeah. Do oh, we? Do we? Do we today understand everything? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but at least, at least we have some numbers. Yeah, but, Back then, but our understanding was good. so primitive at that point when we're yeah. thinking, oh, this will all blow over in six weeks or two weeks or four yeah. weeks, and nothing in the beginning. What a crazy time to be running that business. Right. Like, yeah. That, is, that must have been like a movie. Yeah, and so like so you know we we kind of we. We found a, a pretty good, I think, way to manage the the fallout from just the fact that we had all these pre-sold tickets and then people who were never going to use them. And so we, we, you know, ended up issuing the, that a store credit that could be, people could use, you know, within a couple of years. Um, because we're like, man, if we refund all those tickets, like, we're, that's going to leave us with pretty much no cash to pay the employees, right? So. Right. Like, you're like, oh, man, we got to kind of balance all this. And so we applied for the PPP, got two months' worth of salaries for everybody. We're like, okay, well, that's a good cushion. But I I could tell that it was going to last longer than that. And since I had kind of been looking for a graceful way to exit the business without hurting the business, you know, because I didn't want it to negatively impact the employees or the customers or the business itself. Free parents, yeah. Right, yeah. And so, like, um, you know, me stepping down as kind of a key employee who was in charge of all the operations. Well, if ninety percent of your operation is is paused, you know that that's uh, it's your time to go. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for a way to tuck and roll, that train's not going to roll any slower than it is right, right now, right? Yeah. So, so it really it gave me a good opportunity to just say, okay, I'm going to go do something else. Have they recovered though? Yeah, more or less. I think you know there, there's still some room to to improve, but they are they are back to a point where you know they're at least running uh, at least every day, and I don't know how many routes they're running on a daily basis. I try not to stick my nose too much into the business these days, but I know that like I see their vans and buses on the road, and I know that they get busy at the peak seasons again when Purdue takes breaks. So. You know, I know that the things have definitely improved relative to when, when the numbers COVID started. for Purdue are still going up too. Right, yeah, yeah. and Purdue's going to continue to increase their enrollment, and so it's a stable, it's a stable business model for as long as Purdue has academic breaks. You guys got voted. Um, I got it written down. Number one, the the best shuttle service. It was 2017, yes. 2018, 2019, and then they didn't hold the vote in 2020, and so oh, both. Like and we yeah, were we so bitter it. about that. We're like, oh come on, you know. Um, we're like, just you know, have people vote online. 
fine. It's fine. You know, right. like who votes for that? It's the readers of the Purdue Exponent, so the, the, camp, like the campus letter? newspaper. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's a. It's independent of the, of the university. It's its own business. That um, sounds pretty huge, though. Purdue is mm-hmm. its own city to me. Pretty like, much. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like right. Subaru. It's just. It's yeah, own world over yeah, there. it's almost its own sovereign entity. Yeah, you know? West Side's population drops about thirty thousand or so every summer. Yeah, yeah <laughs> roughly. Yeah, and it's that's amazing. why all the construction happens when everybody's gone, right? So, um, but yeah, the um, uh, where was I? Um, so you just left the. Uh, uh, yeah, so so I had just left Ranger Shuttle, and, and that's how I wound up at Heartland. And, uh, you know, like I said, going from a, a, a set salary to 100% commission was, was difficult. But, you know, we had 90% of our volume dropout from under us at Reindeer Shuttle, and I knew they couldn't pay my salary um, in any sustainable way with, with that level of business disappearing. So I, I figured I was going to do just everybody a favor by stepping down at the time that I did and although you know that was pretty much taking an immediate pay cut I didn't really see that I had any other choice either because it's like I well if I don't give myself a pay cut they're just going to say sorry we can't pay your paycheck <laughs> I, I like that though you, you jumped in the pool right like you right. yeah you took something practically guaranteed I know you just said it wasn't really guaranteed right and I could have could have probably claimed unemployment or something and, but you took a shot though right and yeah, and so then I jumped into a new industry, but something that I felt I could could do well in, and and uh, my exposure to Heartland actually was related to the fact that at Reindeer Shuttle, the credit card processor we used mm-hmm. was Heartland. Oh, uh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so my relationship manager at Heartland, who I had known, he had retired in 2019, and he was also who introduced me to BNI and networking and all that, and so like. I was like, okay, well, I know a little bit about Heartland. Uh, I talked to my friend Tom, and he was like, hey, you should talk to my old boss. And one thing led to another, and she's like, yeah, we'd love for you to come aboard. Did you read any special books or watch YouTube videos or anything like that? Who do you um, for networking? And, oh, gosh, what, yeah. What did you look to? I'd say you soak that up however you can, right? And so, like, a lot of it I just kind of got thrown into the deep end and you just that, you, you figure it out. That's the best way is to literally jump in and just figure it out by action. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, how I, that's how I would approach learning a language or learning a new industry, you know, learning anything. Just try to immerse yourself as much as, as you can in it. And don't give yourself an opportunity to just say, nah, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, because... Like if you if the only way out of it is for you to actually learn how to quote unquote swim in that pool, then you know maybe by the time you reach the shallow water or the or the edge of the pool, maybe you figure out that you actually like it. Okay, um, no, you could have just like you said stayed home, collected unemployment. Yeah. Went back to Chili's. I saw that on there. Right. Yeah, my very first job. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh Chili's! Was that this Chili's? Uh, no, it was in Watauga, Texas. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was my high school job. Yeah, mine yeah. was McDonald's. That was my pride and joy back in the day. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm still rather fond of, of Chili's and the time I spent there. We yeah. need jobs like that. We need first honestly, jobs that yeah. You and you do so much for so little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like I'm a much better tipper today because I've worked. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, like, I will I will recognize when someone's 
really going above and beyond from a food service perspective, and and I make sure that they're acknowledged for it. Mm-hmm. You Teaches know? you good like people skills too, because especially sure. like I mean, I I got thrown into like bartending. Like I I didn't go in there willingly. I kind of got uh-huh. told, oh you're gonna bartend. And I'm like. All right. Right. I'll, yeah. I'll it, 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 it teaches you a lot. It definitely does. Mm-hmm. A lot of problem solving, a lot of people skills. Right. Not that not to talk it up too much. But, sure. You know. Yeah. And I think subconsciously, I've also learned a lot from my dad over the years, too, because he was in pharmaceutical sales for 30 years. He's got to be a smart guy. Yeah, he is. And, and he's very good with people. He's, um, he's uh, a good social engineer, I would say. Um, my... My favorite social engineer of all time would be Kevin Mitnick. He's uh, he's kind of known for um, de- defrauding financial institutions of millions of dollars just from um, voice hacking his way through <laughs> through things. Really? I've heard of him. Yeah, so he's he's known as a hacker, but really what he is is a social engineer, and and it's just someone who can really um, spin things in a way that. You know, maybe, you know, maybe they have malicious intent, maybe they don't, but, like, they can get you to divulge information that you normally wouldn't, you know. That's one thing for me. I'm trying to figure out how to master communication. Yeah. It's you like the movie Now You See Me, and they're I getting him to, like, give up all the, like, secret answers to his um, uh, password recovery questions, like, what's your mother's maiden name, things uh, like that. Yeah. You know, like, like, they get him to just, like, give up this information in a casual conversation. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and that, that's sort of the thing that Kevin Mitnick did. But, like... It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Right, yeah. And and it has to do with, like, not what you know, but who you know, and what you know about them. And, and how do you use that information to, not necessarily your advantage, but for an advantage of some sort. Like, how, what, what makes that information valuable? And just because it's to your advantage or an advantage doesn't mean that someone else is being taken advantage of or you're not giving them a disadvantage. It's just that, you know, you're given information, make it valuable, make it useful, make it resourceful. And so, like, you know, if all I've got is this little Swiss Army knife and it can only do X, Y, and Z, you know, can I come up with another use for it using the resources I already have, you know? I got you. And so, yeah. like, I've just, I've, I've learned to try to be as resourceful as I can with what I've got. And so, like, I can I can always remember, you know, like, my dad and I would go to a lot of sporting events growing up. Um, and we still do. Um, Purdue? A lot. Oh, yeah. I've had season tickets for, for, for Purdue football and men's basketball for his... The, ever since I was a student, really. I think and, that got, and now I have women's basketball tickets this year, too. Oh, nice. Yeah. I think that got cut before, but you actually graduated. Did you graduate with a master's twice or a bachelor and then a master's? Sure, yeah. So I'm a two-term graduate of Purdue. I have a, a, a bachelor's degree from Purdue and a master's degree from That's Purdue. That's wild. Yeah. To, what, what are those in? Uh, nuclear engineering. Both of them. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. That yeah. is... Right, yeah. <laughs> and of course, we haven't talked to... We haven't talked to a single bit about all the time I worked as a nuclear engineer because I, yeah, never, not, cause not, I never did. Because I never did, right? You, worked, <laughs> you never worked at the uh, uh, power plant? Uh, nope, nope. And I've, I've never worked on a day in my life as an engineer by title either, right? So, like, um, one of the dirty little secrets, I think, of higher education is that we, we often convince ourselves and, and our children that choosing your major is like this world-beating decision, right? Like, it's like, you better get this right. It's going to determine your path for the rest of your life. Absolutely not. That's a total lie. I agree with that. But the fact that you have it, it's definitely beneficial. Yeah, and it does mean something. It just doesn't doesn't mean what people think it means. Like, 
what a, what a college degree tells an employer is that you're teachable. Mm-hmm. It doesn't tell them that you're ready to do the job. Right. Like, no, that's what that's what training is for, right? <laughs> like you, like no matter what your degree is, you can't walk into almost any employer on the face of the earth and say, "I'm ready, hire me." You know, like like I don't need any training. Just throw throw put me in, coach. You know, like yeah. you can't do that. Like they've still got to teach you how their company works. How you know all the all the little minutia of the job. You have to be taught, and what a degree tells them is that you're teachable. Like it, you, you stuck with something for two or three or four or five years, whatever it took. That's not to say to me, a college degree says, "Oh, this person can commit to something and yes. follow through with yeah. it." They it can doesn't set really a matter goal. to me what their degree is, but Bingo. if someone made it, I say, "Well, you made it." I know right. eighty percent of people who went to college and just stopped or could, right. you know, yeah, I probably would. I never even attempted college, but I feel like I would be one that. Goes in there thinking I could do it, then I get overwhelmed, get busy with whatever else I'm doing, and then I've never tried. But. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I think I think a lot of people look at look at that as you know, like, oh my gosh, college, you got to choose a major and everything, and like that that can be a barrier for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like the subject matter of your degree will tell you something about what you know. But like, I mean, I went to school with two other nu- two hundred other nuclear engineering students, and we don't all know the same things, you know. And we don't all know them to the same proficiency yeah, either. Yeah, you're all your right? worlds are completely different. Yeah, and whether your doctor was top of their class or, or the last in their graduating class, they're still doctor, you know. Yeah, like <laughs> that's a good. <laughs> and, and, and so, like, just what you studied in school or where you went, while I think they they carry meaning, it's just like it's. I think that a lot of people have a perverted understanding of exactly how meaningful it is. My biggest problem with college, the scariest one for me, is the amount of debt you have to get into. To, mm-hmm. yeah. Especially with Purdue, not dissing on Purdue. I love Purdue, but... Yeah, it's every college. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, and... and, and uh, Truthfully, you know, you, you you look at just the entire higher education landscape. You can kind of trace that back to, um, I don't know exactly when federally subsidized student loans started. I want to say it was probably in the seventies or eighties, if I had to guess. I don't know either, but yeah. Because because you used to be able to pay your tuition with a couple hundred bucks in the seventies and eighties, right? Mm, must be nice, right? <laughs> yeah, people were able to like afford buying a house when they were in college. Exactly, yeah. In the yeah. 60s and the 70s. Yeah. So just, just buckle down mm-hmm. like that, that terms. Right. This, this house I showed this morning, it's uh, being sold for 195000 mm-hmm. When it was built, the first person who ever bought it paid 25000 Exactly, like, right. This must be nice for right. a yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so, like, when it comes to just, like, kind of the dilemma we're seeing in higher education in general, and, you know, my ha- i got to tip my hat to Purdue for freezing tuition for as long as they have. Although I'm not bitter, they didn't start freezing tuition until I wasn't paying it anymore. <laughs> um, you know, I was at, well, technically I was in grad school when they started freezing tuition, but in grad school I had an assistantship that paid my tuition. So, you know, they have, they have this thing called tuition remission for for graduate assistants, and so basically what happens is your department pays your tuition, whoever whoever's your employer for that assistantship. So. You know, technically, I guess I benefited from tuition remission in the, or, or tuition freezing in that respect. But, you know, my undergrad was when I was paying out-of-state tuition. Uh, oh, that's you know, right. I grew yeah, up in you, Texas. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I take that for granted, too, being Absolutely. right here in Lafayette. Yeah. Or it's Indiana in general, 
right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're if you're in state because Purdue's a state institution, you get you get to pay roughly one third of what an out of state student does. And there's another one. I don't know if I still have it, but because my stepmom works at Purdue, there was another sure. benefit. There's, the, there's a there's a uh, discount uh, involved for dependents of mm-hmm. of employees of the university. So, so like my daughter could go to Purdue for like forty five ish percent off tuition. Yeah, it's not but bad. You're yeah, a veteran too, so is that? Uh, that that might be something else, but yeah, I'm not I know sure it's not near as good as what Purdue's just straight out. Yeah, employee policy. Yeah, 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 their employee policy is going to be I, much better. Right. I thought about it earlier, and I don't know how we'll, we'll make a difference. We never introduced Zach into this. this is, we've done yeah, podcasts, right. but we never, <laughs> we never posted it. So, like, people listening to this one don't really, you know what I mean? I, I'm just producing the podcast, for lack of a better term of vocabulary. Yeah. So. Editing, yeah. I've mentioned you a million times in the podcast. Yeah. I called him your nerd interpreter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like that term. That's got a better ring to it. So. <laughs> Makes me feel a little smarter than I actually am. So. But, uh, Nuclear engineer calling me a nerd. I don't know. <laughs> Too big a head. Right, that would feed my ego. <laughs> no one calls me a nerd. <laughs> But um, I guess kind of where, where I was going with that was just the fact that um, you you notice that the rapid inflation of the cost of attending college will closely correlate with the timeline with which the federal government has offered guaranteed loans, right? And so, like, when, when we started getting federally subsidized loans where the government basically wrote a blank check and said... We're going to underwrite all these loans regardless of how um, how capable someone is of repaying that loan. Would that be FAFSA? Or uh, the, the, yeah, FAFSA is the application that you fill out, the, the, federal applica- or the free application for federal student aid. It's, um, uh, it's like a, it's a name, I thought. It's like a, almost like a lady's name, if I remember right, the um, lending company. Oh, uh, like Fannie Mae. Fannie Mae. Oh, that, yeah, that, yeah, they, they underwrite yeah, mortgages. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, yeah. Okay. I might be thinking. Sure. And so, but um, there's uh, Stafford uh, subsidized and unsubsidized loans. Um, but generally speaking, so like when you've got all these subsidized loans that the government's just gonna underwrite, uh, then that tells universities. Wait, you mean, no matter how many students we accept. And no matter what we charge them for tuition, someone in the government's going to say, sure, we'll give you a loan for that amount of money. And so the wheels start turning. And so so administrators across the country go, hey, we can raise the cost of education. And and, and it just, uh, yeah, and, oh, yeah, they did, right? And so, like, throughout the 90s and the 2000s, you see just an enormous inflation on the cost of attending college. And it's not just Purdue; it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Until until Mitch Daniels came into Purdue and said, "This is outrageous. We got to put a stop to this." And so they froze tuition for what, like 10, 12 years now. Mitch Daniels did that. Uh huh. Oh, it was when he that. stepped in there. He stepped down as governor and went right into that uh, president spot of Purdue. And mm-hmm. yeah, and, and there was, was a lot of controversy. Got, yeah, I mean, yeah. understandably so. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a political it's, matter. Right. Yeah. So there's going to be differences of opinion on it, but. You know, to to Mitch's credit, Mm -hmm. that was one of his hallmark achievements was uh, getting the the board of trustees 
to freeze tuition, and uh, and he said we're going to find a way to to pay for this. You know, we're going to solicit more donations. We're going to do X, Y, Z. We're going to make departments more efficient. We're maybe going to combine some jobs. You know, we're going to try to find a home for everybody who's currently an employee. And I'm sure that there were some people who were laid off, you know, due to un- unforeseen circumstances. But but by and large, you know, there's been tens of thousands of students who have benefited from that because they have been able to say, okay, I can, I know how much college is going to cost me going in. I know what those four years are going to, are going to take. Um, and there's value in that. And so I, I can appreciate that. Um one one creative thing they did right off the bat to try to pay for that was they they looked at all the phone lines in the dorm rooms and they said, why do we still have those? Uh, like landlines? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So like when I was a freshman at Purdue and I lived in the dorms, we had a landline in our in our room. Uh, and they don't have those anymore. And uh, they saved millions of dollars a year That's out of the budget by yeah. just ripping out landlines, you know, like the, by not paying for that service anymore. What else do you think we have now in the average household that we're not going to need like that? Like landlines, Ooh, what people a great question. Thought, yeah. <laughs> mm. I think about it every now and then. I'm trying to think of one, though. Yeah. That's that's a fantastic question. Like, just what what might get supplanted by some other superior technologies? One, one for me, I've talked about, I might have said it on the podcast before, but Wi-Fi. I don't know if Wi-Fi is going to be around for too much longer. What if it's all just 5G in the air anyway? Could be. It's it's totally possible. You know, we may get to a point where the cellular network far out outpaces what we're able to do um, with a with a wired connection. Although, you know, I will say, you know, fiber optic networks are awfully powerful. So they are. Uh, so it's a big hurdle. But you know, if we can get there, I mean, the, for, with with a wireless technology, I think that'd be that'd be pretty cool. Um, cable, I think or it's not cable, but internet boxes in general. I guess that's still Wi-Fi, but right? Like the box that yeah. you have, to have Comcast coming and install mm-hmm. and all that, right? Like the the uh, modem. Yeah, the modem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think those are those are probably going to have um, numbered days on them. That that's conceivable. Um, you know, one thing I never thought it would give up was. Um, Using a physical cable to charge your phone. Oh, that's a good and, point. And yeah. now, like, I can just I can set this on any and I'm seeing any magnetic conduction charger and charge my phone. Like, I've got one mounted in my car. You know, I've got the MagSafe ring on my on I my think, case. And I think there's a movie theater in Lafayette. Where they is it the new IMAX? Have you guys been to the new? IMAX? I haven't been there yet. Is it nice? It is. I haven't been there in so long, but I think. I hope I'm not botching this. I think if you sit down in one of their new chairs Might and you like put a, your phone there, yeah. I think it'll charge. Right. Yeah. Phone. And so, like, you know, I know they make cars like that, but I, I can't remember right. if it's in that movie mm-hmm. theater or not. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I, I wonder if maybe someday that might, that technology might expand to more electronics in our house. You know, like maybe maybe we see fewer of these 110, 120 volt outlets and more wireless conduction pads or, or, or magnet-based mounting solutions or things. And like, <laughs> I have a master's degree in nuclear engineering, but magnets, as far as I'm concerned, are magic. You know, like, <laughs> like, like, I just, like, no matter how much I try, I just, like, ma- the way magnetic and electrical fields work and everything, like, it just still blows my mind. I'm like, I have a, I have a fundamental scientific understanding of how it works, but at the same time, I'm like, 
no nah, man that's magic like that, that, that's fake like it's just like just don't don't worry about how it works it's just it just works it's magic and like what what fascinates me about magnets is that they never lose their their strength right so like that's a good point right and so like with with electrical charge like you deplete the state of charge of a battery and and you know like once once you're out of juice like it won't do anything anymore but like a magnet never runs low you know and i'm like how like like you can't create or destroy energy and i'm just like like you know my my little engineering brain just still can't comprehend how magnets are able to just indefinitely maintain the the grip that they have on things. Never even really thought about magnets like that. Isn't, yeah, kind of, isn't that cool? Yeah. Polarity in itself never made sense to me. I'm like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know why that works, but yeah. it does. So yeah, and so like I just like I have a, I have a deep appreciation for for the the magnet the magic of magnetism and and so just like. I mean, I'm I'm like a, a kid in a candy store with with magnets. I'm just like, ooh, this is so cool. You know? I have a deep appreciation for just living in this time period in general. I feel like I'm just a monkey that lives in the future. Right. You know? um, yeah, a lot, a lot of exciting stuff. There you know, is. Going, it's going like every day us. is something new. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of scary stuff going on. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, even with the electric vehicle. Um, you know, revolution, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah, you're yeah. in a Tesla. You know it better than I do. Right, yeah. The Tesla Model 3 was probably one of the coolest things that uh, that we've bought so far. And and really, it was um, not that much more expensive than the, the, the Chevy Volt that I was driving, just in terms of the the overall impact on, on my driving habits and everything. Yeah, so you charge your car. You don't need to put gas in. Yeah, so you don't, charge it at home. Is that mm-hmm. completely free? You literally just like... Well, I still, have to pay, I still have to pay for the energy to Duke Energy, right? So, mm-hmm. like, I... And you, you pay based on the kilowatt hours that you consume, and... Um, it bumps your electric bill up a lot or not? A little bit, but uh, I think um, if I understand the rate structure correctly for Duke, and I probably don't, is the reality, but... But if I do, then I believe you actually end up paying less per kilowatt hour the more you use. So like, like for maybe the first thousand kilowatt hours that I use in a, in a month, it's at a certain rate, and then the more I use, you know, they they add those on in a certain certain structure. I think it'd be the opposite. And I don't spend a whole lot of time studying my electric bill, but I think that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. And so like there there actually is like a law to. Uh, diminishing returns, I guess, on on how much it might cost you as you as you scale more energy in there. What's it? Do you have to pay money to charge your Tesla at like the Meyer Tesla stations? You have to uh, at, for that? at a supercharger, yes, uh, but there are some uh, some chargers are set up where they're free to use for the public, and so like with with a Tesla supercharger, depending on who you are in to Tesla, like if you were an early adopter, you probably have like lifetime free supercharging. Um, but like, um, I'll use Nashville, Tennessee as an example, because we went down there for Purdue's bowl game in December. Nice. Um, we went and uh, my, my wife had to be at work earlier uh, in the day before we left. So like the car had already driven, you know, some 60 miles before we even started the trip. So we went down to Indianapolis, found a supercharger there, parked it, uh, and then we went and walked someplace to eat. So we, we grabbed food as a family, ate, charged the car for about 45 minutes, boom, we're like topped off, ready to go. And then we went 
uh, past. Saved you uh, a tank of gas. I mean, yeah, a, yeah, and then we stopped in like Elizabethtown, must have been Kentucky, I think, um, and another supercharger. And then when we got to Nashville, we plugged in to another supercharger. And each one of those supercharger visits cost us anywhere between like six and twelve dollars. Practically nothing. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, so that's life changing. Yeah. And, and every time we stop at one, it's like, okay, everyone's ready for a bathroom break or food or something. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, I can't top off my electric vehicle battery as fast as I would top off my gas tank. But like, if you're on a road trip, you're you've probably been snacking or drinking or whatever. And most most normal human beings are going to need a bio break of some sort. You know, at, at, at approximately the same intervals that you're going to need to recharge your battery. And so, and you know. 45 minutes, that's a normal amount of time to eat dinner, I would think. Yeah. And yeah, you that's what I was thinking. Yeah. And if it's at a supercharger or a, or a DC fast charger, if you get a, like a non-Tesla uh, electric car, if it, if it can support charging at 480 volts or, or, or higher, then, you know, you can really realistically add more than 60% of your battery's full capacity in less than half an hour. Do Tesla have the dance mode on it? Oh, the, uh, the uh, boom box sort of feature? We can edit this out, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what time are we at on it? Uh, right at one hour. One I, hour. I didn't know if you needed anywhere to go, but it's right about 2.57 going on oh. 3 o'clock, so. I'm good so far. Right. Let me just see. We'll probably wrap it up soon. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, so we normally keep them right about an hour. Sure, so. yeah. Just because when they get super long, then it's... Now it's more of a nightmare for him. But <laughs> I, I enjoy doing it anyway, so y'all can yeah. talk away. Yeah, you can decide which content you want to keep. This podcast is so fun to do, though. I really yeah. do like this podcast a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really it's interesting fun. guests, too, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I listen How else would we have met if, sure. if it yeah. wasn't for... <clears> well, it's just it's so neat getting to, getting to meet new people <clears> and kind of learn learn where they come from what they what they do what kind of makes them tick you know that's what this podcast is about too one of it is one of the things it's about is about how people have all these crazy stories and they come from all around the world yeah but they still end up right here in lafayette indiana Mm -hmm. or west lafayette right i call it all lafayette but they all end up here for one reason or another whether it's purdue or anything yeah you know and i was brainwashed from an early age uh you know because my dad went to purdue and so even though i grew up in texas i always wanted to go to purdue and that's wild to me i mean yeah i get it but i'm a i'm born and raised in lafayette <clears throat> sure so yeah like someone in texas yeah you're like why on earth yeah. would someone want to come to lafayette indiana but, but i see it with my real estate clients yeah. people are coming in from mm-hmm. everywhere yeah and purdue's got a big draw honestly and so like while you know the, the things that made me fall in love with purdue were things like watching you know um drew Brees play football and gene katie um, coach basketball sports, yeah, yeah you know like you know like, i grew up watching joe tiller and gene katie and so like i developed a huge affinity for those programs how do we get those guys on the podcast I mean, that's got to be have more of a platform like Joe Rogan. We won't have a problem. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We're working on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, like, I, so I grew up watching that stuff. And so I was all like, yeah, I want to go to Purdue, you know, just like my dad did. Um, but then it was like, by the time I was maybe a sophomore or junior in high school, it was finally like that realization of like, oh, Purdue's also like a college where you go learn things and therefore yeah. you're going to need to decide on a, a, a study 
uh, subject matter and and you so made it happen though. Right, yeah. And so like what what happened was I had I had a physics teacher who made a really good impression on me in my junior year and I wound up taking the AP physics course with him my senior year. But he was an electrical engineer by trade for twenty five years. He worked for a telecommunications company um, before he decided to retire from that and get into teaching. And he just he made such an impact on me uh, as a as a teacher that I was like, you know, maybe this engineering thing has something to it. You know, my dad studied pharmacy at Purdue. He was in pharmaceutical sales for 30 years. Um, we didn't really talk about engineering or anything like that, but I was always the kid who would, like, take something apart and put it back together again with no pieces left over. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I just always wanted to learn how things worked. And so, like, it, I don't think it surprised anybody that I wound up going into engineering. Even though you, yeah, I was going to say, even though you haven't really worked in that field, it still, to me, seems like it was a good fit for you. Absolutely. And, and you know, there's, there's this... Um, I think universal principle of, of learning and education that you know if you can master something to the level that you can reapply the principles that you learned in that field or, or subject matter, mm-hmm. if you can take that and make it work in another context, that that's actually there's a, a educational philosophy. Um, that would teach that, that that's called abstraction. And when you can um, achieve abstraction, that's a level of mastery that indicates that you're, you're very good at the, the subject matter, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, I'm, I'm kind of butchering the explanation of it. But, <laughs> but, but like one, one thing I didn't touch on um, in, in our discussion of my past was that when I... When I started my job at Reindeer Shuttle, I was actually in graduate school at the time. So yeah, we've talked about, I, I have my two two degrees that I did graduate from, but I'm also a college dropout because I dropped out of a PhD program and I was studying engineering education with the intention of becoming a data scientist. And so I learned a lot about how um, engineering is taught and how we as humans come to understand and learn and know things and and how just really cognition works in the human brain. And so, like, when you've got these levels of mastery in in a subject matter and and not not only that, but how you learn it from other people, um, I just kind of, like, I reflect back on my own career and and how I've kind of bounced around from different things. and, And people will ask me sometimes, like, oh, wow, how do you feel about wasting all that time getting a degree or going to no. college. Yeah. I, I immediately dismissed the notion that it was a waste of anybody's time or money because I learned things as an engineering student or just as a student in general, you know, take grade school all the way through, you know, college, post-secondary and everything. I learned things that matter and they helped me kind of form that map in my brain of how things are connected to one another. You'd be and in a whole different spot if you never made a move on college. One hundred percent. Be in Texas. I don't see why else yeah. it would be. Yeah, in most likely. Area. You know, I went back for like my ten year reunion for high school, and I, I noticed that I was only one of like four people who came from out of state. Really? Like maybe four or five people came from out of state, and um, there was only about ten percent of our class actually showed up to the reunion, but almost everybody who was there still lived within a couple of hours of where we all grew up. And not that that's a bad thing, but to your point, it's very likely that I would still be there. Um, and so my life would just, it would look different 
for better or for worse, I don't know. It's unimaginable. But, but yeah, my, my life would look very different if I hadn't taken that path. And so while I've never worked a day in my life as a nuclear engineer or any other type of engineer, I still feel like I learned things that are extremely valuable in that course of study that still matter today. And like one example I'll use just from like, actually from when I was a teaching assistant at Purdue, I was teaching first year engineering. I saw that too, yeah. Yeah, I was teaching your, a first year engineer. Your background is so long, it's impossible to narrow it down in an hour. Right, yeah, it's, it's like, 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 like take your pick and we'll talk about yeah. that for an hour. But, <laughs> but it's like, you know, I, I, I use the analogy as like, it's like a game of shoots and ladders. Like, you know, I, my, my life, kind of makes me feel like the dog in the movie Up when I see a squirrel, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. like, oh, hey, hang on, you know? like Maybe, I, maybe I have professional person. ADHD, I don't know, but... Um, Your mindset <laughs> is so powerful, though. The way you yeah. look at well, thank you. thing... Well, really, I don't know how to describe it, but if more people thought the same way you did, their lives would be dramatically different. I don't know. I'm not great with my words. Sure, yeah. No, but I, th- I think I know what you're, what you're kind of getting at. And it's just that, like, you know, you, you kind of take those moments in life where where you're, you're prompted to just reevaluate what you're doing. And then if you really take a good, hard, honest look at yourself and what your capabilities and skills are, and you just try to maximize on those, I think, you know, you can you can wind up in a pretty good spot. And so while I've, I've definitely had some struggles, you know, like I've... I've I've been divorced before. I've uh, I've been completely broke. You know, I've been. You need that though. Yeah, you gotta go broke. You get, I, don't, I don't know if you need a divorce, but it right. does. Right. I personally again. did. You know, like I like I I needed to learn that lesson the hard way. Mm-hmm. You know, and I learned honestly learned more about myself in the in that in that. Um, experience than anything. Probably didn't realize it at the time, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like it, it, it was rough at the time. But like I look back on that as like a really good learning experience, and I think that going through that divorce has made me a better husband and father today than I than I would have been if that had never happened. Yeah, I didn't ask. You have kids. Uh, yeah, I have three stepdaughters. Three stepdaughters, nice. Yeah, nice. yeah, and so I've I've been married now for uh, almost a year actually. So I got married last so March. Pretty recent, yeah. yeah. Congrats. Thank Congrats. you. Yeah, so I got married last March, and my wife Joe, bless her heart, um, you know she she puts up with a, with a, a lot of idiosyncrasies and everything, right? Yeah. But but she brought these just three beautiful daughters into the relationship where uh, I am still the least mature person in the house. <laughs> How old are your stepdaughters? They're 13, 15, going on 16 next oh, month. Man, and then cool. and then one that doesn't even live with us right now because she turned 18 last October, and she's already like gone, gone off to college. As soon as yeah. I was 18, I was like, Yeah, so she graduated high school like last summer. Those are some hard ages to... You said 13 and 15? Uh-huh, yeah. And so, like, you hear that, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. She's think, right? No, these girls are just, like, so, so smart, so well-behaved. That's awesome. And, yeah. yeah, and so, like, like when I say I'm the least mature person in the house, like, it <laughs> sounds like a joke, but I'm like, no, really. <laughs> um, and, and so, like, they're just, they're so well-behaved. Everything is yes, ma'am, yes, sir. And, um, like, You think the universe I, works out? The way it's supposed to, or you think it's all random, chaotic? Flip over my ABL cargo business card. What's that quote yeah. say? 
read that earlier. That, like that's that. funny. Yeah. Things work out best for those that make the best of how things work out. Yeah, like that. and that's a quote. John that's a quote from John Wooden. Who's that? Uh, he is um, for for any basketball fans out there. They're probably going, "Oh my gosh, Jordan, you don't." Know <laughs> <Yeah. this right." laughs> but um, I but barely so know. so John Wooden played basketball at Purdue uh, in the late 1920s and early 30s. Uh, was a three-time All-American. Um, and the only reason that I will contend that he was a three-time All-American is because for the next 40 years or so, 40 or 50 years, uh, freshmen were still ineligible to compete in the NCAA. And so as a freshman, he would have been ineligible to be an All-American because he wouldn't have played in any varsity games. Uh, so as a sophomore, junior, senior, he was an All-American. And then... Um, Crazy yeah, and you know what? He started at Purdue English, <laughs> um, but he actually went on to be uh, one of the one of, if not the greatest, basketball coaches of all time. And he's he's known for coaching UCLA in the nineteen seventies, and he went to I think ten Final Fours and won I think maybe six national championships. So I, I, I'm not hundred percent up to par on his, on his statistics, but he's just widely regarded as one of one of the greatest basketball minds of all time. That's a good quote, though. That's a good quote to have on a business quote. card. Too. Yeah, and 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 I have that quote on my desk at home too, and it's just like I I, I, I look back at it frequently and like. I mean, you, you've seen where my career has taken me. Like, if, if there's one thing that could sum all that up, it's that quote. Things work out best for those who make the best of how things work out. Can you send me that one picture, too? I'm Absolutely, yeah. 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 I like that. yeah. Was that part of this recording or the other? Wow. It was the last one, if, yeah. you, want sure. to, if you want to kind of briefly sure, talk yeah. about so, it. Sure, uh, yeah. So what we're talking about is just it, there's this Venn diagram that I, that I keep on my phone. Because we were talking and, about finding your spark. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What really gets you going? Yeah, and 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 why does why does my CV look like a game of shoots and ladders? You know, and, and yep. it's just that uh, there's this this um, four part Venn diagram where you've got the four big circles say you love it, the world needs it, you are paid for it, and you are great at it. And then you know where those where any two overlap, you've got things like passion, mission, vocation, and profession. But where all four of them overlap is this little purple dot that just says purpose. And I don't have any idea who made this. There's some signature in the corner of it that I can't totally make out. And it came from you know, like ninegag.com at some point. Like yeah. someone <laughs> someone you know put it out on the internet as a meme. But I've I've kept it on my phone for just uh, at least seven years, according to the timestamp on this. Um, and like, I just, I refer to it frequently and, you know, I just think about, you know, like what gives me purpose? Like whether that's my career, how I spend my free time, you know, what, what I invest my time and resources in, you know, when I look at this, this image, I, I think, you know, does, does this thing that I'm doing, does it really give me that purpose? You know, does it, does it motivate me to get out of bed in the mornings? You know, is it something that I, that I look forward to constantly? And, and I think, um, you what know, about your, your new job right now, you yeah. feel like you're checking all those. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the reasons why I, why I took the job. And so while I was, I'm, I'm very happy with, um, Everything about my job at Heartland, except for maybe the fact that it's 100% commission, and that means that I'm not always 100% in control of how much money I make. Uh, so that that brings into question this, you know, economic stability of providing for my family. I get that. I do. Right. Um, it's like that's like the only part about it that I'm not like crazy about. But 
when this opportunity to work at APL, APL Cargo came up, you know, I, I started learning about the company. I go, okay, you're at 120 trucks right now. It's a pretty good-sized trucking company. Yeah, that's uh, pretty. Yeah. Um, and so, like, they've got this structure in place where they, they needed gaps in the management team to be filled at because they're planning to grow more. And, you know, that's where I perk up. I go, oh, a high-growth scenario. That's something that I can really sink my teeth into. Because I'm very, you know, data-driven uh, I, I like to, to look at um, things in a very analytical way, and I was hired to be the logistics director. This is a position that didn't exist before. Um, and so like, I, I, come, I came in to where I'm overseeing several different departments, and so really what I'm in charge of is um, our entire operations team, so that would be our, our driver managers, uh, operations assistants, the load planners, uh, the the relationship with outside sales and customer so you're a, service. You're a big wig over there. Driver there. recruiting, and, yeah, it's a it's a director level position, um, and uh, so like really like I'm building a department essentially that can scale. From the goal is to take this what's a 120 truck operation to by the end of this year be 200 trucks and within a couple of years be. 500 trucks and maybe eventually a thousand and if I don't focus on making this team as efficient as it possibly can be with the resources we have now then as we grow that's going to spiral out of control and so that's that's why I was brought in to kind of you know create this position and you're um, the guy for it though I, I, we talked about it in the previous recording before right. it got yeah. deleted <laughs> but you when you were the ceo or vip whatever when you were running reindeer show right. with your family what year did you say in one year your company went from four hundred thousand a year to 1.3 million. Right, and so like when, when like so in 2016 when my parents bought Reindeer Shuttle from the graduate students who had started the company, um, and they asked, they hired me and asked me to run the company for them essentially while I was in grad school. Uh, and, oh, so you were a kid doing that. Right, oh, yeah, yeah, and so like I was, I was in, I was in my PhD program for engineering education, and that, that, uh, that double duty lasted one semester. I dropped out in December of that year because uh, I was like, I got to focus on the business. And I, yeah. talk, I talked to my PhD advisor. He's like, he's like, go do what makes you happy. And I was like, I was like, thank you. You know, that's great advice. And that's <laughs> that the same advice. Idea. It's yeah. the same that's advice true. I always give my students. I said, I said, don't don't worry about the money. Don't worry about the other things. Like, if you do what makes you happy, everything else will work out. You throw I, that chart up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so. Um, so in 2016, August 2016, they bought the company, um, and we we pretty much took over right after the uh, the peak ended for like the beginning of the school semester, and we went into that with not even a full year's worth of data on financial history because the company was so young, and our CPA was thinking, oh yeah, you're probably gonna look at I don't know four hundred thousand dollars a year in, in gross revenue, so we're like, okay, that's that's. Uh, Good to good to know, and so we right, kind of a, kind of plan that out. We're thinking, okay, yeah, it's a pretty healthy business. We can we can make this work. You know, we were looking at the business model, and and so we come in, and from August to December, we had about four hundred thousand dollars in sales. So, so, we, so we hit our annual target in, in in just the really the last five months of the year, and really like four and a half because it was like August twenty third, I think. It was and that's finally. during. 
part of um, summer break. And so it was right after the summer break ended. So Purdue started uh, their okay, classes yeah. on probably like the 21st or something, and we took over on the 23rd. Um, and so like my, my first taste of a peak season was Labor Day, and I'll never forget, we had like 81 or 83 passengers, and I would remember thinking, ah, right. this is so hard. That's a lot, though, for one day. Right, yeah. And, and, and when you're used to doing, you know, 6 to 12 passengers a day, 80 plus is like, whoa, you got to figure this out. And so, like, that was my first wake up call where I was like, I have to figure this out. Um, Josh Edwards up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did eventually hire him probably yeah. about six months later, I, mean, I think, if I remember right. He loved that job. I remember. Yeah. Was, I think that's where, because you said you ran that business, and I was like, reindeer uh, shuttle services. I'm like, I know I've heard that. I'm right. pretty sure we talked about it in that one podcast. Yeah, I'll have to go back and listen. You probably did. It might be in that, because his was a three hour podcast. <laughs> Could have been one ended up on the cutting yeah. room floor. I, I want to go back and listen to that episode, too. That was. That was one of the first ones I did with Josh. I yeah, but but like that was that was definitely a wake up call. And so I go, okay, if I can't figure out how to run, you know, three buses from O'Hare to Purdue, then to move eighty people, then like this is this is gonna fall apart pretty quickly because I can see that we were we were growing in popularity, and so I just I, I buckled down. I started putting in putting in longer hours and figuring things out. And then October break came along the next month, and that's a four-day weekend for Purdue. They got Monday and Tuesday off around Columbus Day. Um, so instead of a three-day weekend for Labor Day, four-day weekend is just naturally a bigger holiday, more people travel. Well, we had about 220 passengers in one day and that, that time around. And you know what? It didn't feel as stressful as the 80, because we had made some changes along the way to try to prepare for that. If and you're then growing and moving, yeah. Then, then yeah. And then de- December comes. We're preparing for winter break. Students leaving for for Christmas break. We had over 500 passengers in one day. That was kind of oh. a little bit of an anomaly because we had a we had an ice storm that pushed a lot of people from one day to the next mm. in terms of like flight cancellations. Um, but yeah, so like we had we were, we were looking at like doubling and tripling passenger numbers from one peak to the next, and and so. You know, I just didn't know what to do, though. That's right, that's, and and so like I, I took a very data driven approach, though, right? And so like I, I went back and I looked at our passenger data for how people were booking, how much time were they giving us between when they booked their ticket and when they were traveling, mm-hmm. you know, because that behavior matters. And so like because we've got we've got to make sure that we have seats available, we have the right number of buses, we have the right times planned for everything. And so I was constantly cross referencing the data that we had from the past. Looking at uh, how that how that compares to the future, and without going into too much detail, because it's probably I guess the secret sauce. Right. Um, <laughs> I was able to mathematically determine uh, when we would have half of our seats booked, and how many shuttles did you have? You could. Uh, we started out with two vans, uh, two little four transit vans, and then we eventually bought. More than we bought buses, and so by the time I left Reindeer Shuttle, we had 13 vehicles, including three buses that required a CDL to operate. That and we were moving awesome. approximately 80,000 passengers a year. And I'm assuming you said it was graduate students that started it. I'm assuming that was just a bunch of college kids in two vans, right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And, they, and they had four drivers that they had hired, two full-time, two part-time. And so we inherited those when we bought the company. And you turned it into a beast. You turned it into a little bit, a, yeah. yeah. Yeah, That's and so crazy. so yeah, and so then we were, we did about uh, a little over a million dollars in sales in 2017, a little over two million in 2018, 
almost two and a half million in 2019, and then COVID happened. Yeah. Right. And I think, and we were probably on track to hit about three million dollars in sales in 2020 if it had not been for COVID. Uh, and and I I personally felt that the the market cap on what that company could achieve was somewhere in the five million dollar a year range. And so I, I wanted to I wanted to keep us growing to the point that where we could really capitalize on that. Um, and really, I just I, I focused everything with the principle of you know like if you if you provide a service at a fair price to your customers with modern equipment that's well maintained and you treat your employees right, then you know everything works itself out. Um, you know I felt like you have to treat running a company as almost like a stool that's supported by, in our case, three three legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, every business is a little different, but I, th- I felt like we had three main main legs that we had to balance that company on. And it's like um, you have, uh, no matter what you do, you, you have stakeholders in everything that you do. You have people who have an interest in what you're doing and, and how you support them will determine how much they support you, right? True. And so our stakeholders were essentially our customers, our employees, and the company itself. And so I felt like everything I did from a, from a business standpoint had to adequately balance the needs and the wants of each of those three three entities. And so the company, that's easy. You got to keep the company profitable. If it's not profitable, it's not sustainable, and, and you're going to run out of business. Sounds so. like you guys weren't struggling too hard with that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, so from from a numbers perspective, I just like I, I I made sure that I knew, I knew exactly where every dollar was coming and going. You know, I, I understood that control system very well. I knew what it took to get the revenue in, and I knew where the dollars went on the way out, and I knew that we'd have money left over. And at the end of the day, you know, profitability is the number one concern there. From a from a corporate health perspective, um, so as long as I could satisfy that, I knew that that would leave me with some wiggle room to, to focus on on the other uh, stakeholders. And so then the other one was customers. Like, okay, well, customers, their priorities are going to be: I want I want an affordable service, I want a reliable service, and I want a convenient service. And the what the industry has taught them is that you can choose one, maybe two of those things. And what I wanted was to do all three, and and uh, you know to to the extent possible. And so, in order to make it as convenient as possible, we needed to offer as many routes as, as were necessary. Uh, so we had to, we had to achieve a certain level of market penetration in terms of um, running the right number of routes every day. Uh, to make it affordable, we had to we had to, and, and this was something that the previous owners had, had done very well. They undercut everybody on on price. They just said we're going to be cheaper than everybody. And as time went on, my, my dad and I had a little difference of opinion on how that, that should I should continue. That. Uh, I, I felt that we, we probably needed to raise our prices more because mm-hmm. we had established ourselves as a market leader. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not... Yeah. We're offering a premium premiums. service. We should have a premium price for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and that doesn't mean you need to price gouge people. You just, but you need to be where the market... Exactly. If the market will bear it and you're providing a service that's worth it, you know, know what you're worth. As a business owner, you should never sell yourself short. Like I get the idea of you wanting to be the cheapest one out there. Right, and then when you're just starting out, that's a great way to get market share. If you can but, afford it, yeah. Right, absolutely. but there comes a point where you don't want every every customer, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit of a rite of passage for business owners to, to, like, when you first fire or tell someone no as a customer, like, firing a customer is a rite of passage. 
because that that means you're you're staking you're staking your flag in the ground there and saying I know what service I provide I know what it's worth and if you don't want to meet the terms of that of, of that contract mm-hmm. then you're free to do business elsewhere and there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's a hard it, conversation to have. Right, and yeah. when you're and when you're first starting out and you're scratching and clawing for every every single dollar you can get, you don't see that mm-hmm. um, because you're just like, oh my gosh, I got a customer. This is awesome, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and so, like, it's it's part of growing up as a business owner. I think you know to be able to do that, and uh, and so you know we we pro- we provided a, a good service for the customers there. And then, you know, our, our employees were that other leg of the stool. And, you know, we just, we never, ever wanted to do anything that would neglect that group because they were the heart and soul of, of everything Absolutely, that we did. Yeah. And it was always a struggle to hire more, too. And so, like, you know, we probably made more concessions than we should have in terms of, you know, tolerating, you know, any, any uh, lapses in performance or, you know, attendance issues or anything like that. Um, but Josh Edwards was probably a good sign, I'd imagine. He was, he was. He was a very reliable employee. I've never and, worked uh, for or with him, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and any time he ever fell short, he knew exactly what that was, and he would he would try to correct it. And, and really, that's all you can ask of people. Right. Uh, you know, it's like, okay, you messed up, I think he left when it. he had his kid, now that I think about it. I think that's... That, that may be, uh, yeah. Uh, I know it was, he mentioned it was be during slash because of COVID too, mm-hmm. probably like when you said when ninety percent right walked out. Yeah, because the hours aren't there. You know, mm-hmm. it's like well, we can't offer as many routes, so you know that means everyone's hours get cut. Um, we should probably wrap this up soon. Though. Yeah, I was yeah, just going to make a comment. We're pushing an hour and a half. If there's anything else we wanted to kind sure. of talk yeah. about, close with. Yeah, I'm not sure what to close with, <laughs> but. If you have any like kind of plugs for yourself yes. besides like um, I don't know, it might. Sure. Not that you necessarily do social media, but like your LinkedIn, for instance. Yeah, sure. So I, I am on I am on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Facebook. I do mostly you know personal family stuff. I I do have a, a Facebook uh, business profile for my uh, work at Heartland, uh, where I kind of will focus more on the, the merchants that I service and things like that. I'll find um, that. Yeah, it's uh, Facebook.com slash Get Paid with Paul. Get paid with Paul. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like it. And, like uh, it. and so that's my Heartland Payment Systems profile. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, anybody can look me up on there, get connected. Happy to do that. Uh, Twitter is mostly my musings about Purdue Sports. So. Yeah. <laughs> Nowhere to go now. Yeah, that's Boiler Pauly is my username on there. And uh, it's been that way for 15 years, I guess. I but. used to want to do a YouTube channel about uh, finance and setting goals and stuff like that. I'd never have done it, yeah. but um, I made an account, and it was Get Rich with Jordan. There you so go. Yeah, yeah. Get paid with Paul, yeah. Get Rich with Jordan. Yeah, yeah. I still so, have the account, but I never done Yeah, it. so my Get Paid with Paul page, you know, I can kind of focus on, you know, what, what help I can do uh, and offer for, for business owners. And and really, for, for anyone out there who is listening, who has a business, you know, if you accept payments from a customer um, in any way, shape, or form, you should probably make sure that you have that area of your business dialed in uh, exactly the way that it needs to be. And so I'll say I'm happy to consult with anybody and help them find what's an appropriate fit for them, you know, whether they're doing $50,000 a year or $50 million a year in business. You know, there's there's no one-size-fits-all solution for, for any of those. And so if you accept cash, credit card, ACH, you know, any sort of payment, electronic or non 
you know, that's a good conversation to have because there's, you know, maybe there are ways that you can attract other customers by providing other other payment forms. You know, it's just, it's always a good conversation to have, especially because, like, I mean, I've, in all the business owners that I've talked to, like, not one of them ran things exactly the same way. And so, like, that's, that's kind of the exciting part about that. So, I love having those conversations with people. And then in terms of, you know, what I do at APL, uh, you know, we're always always looking for more employees, good good quality people to either join our management team for, for whatever openings there are or from, a, from an I know. Every and from an operations company, so. perspective, you know, we're looking for people to help with the dispatching side of things and, um, you know, putting together a pretty good team there. And uh, we also um, are happy to take direct customers, you know, anyone who's in the manufacturing, shipping, logistics industry, um, we'll, we'll work with freight brokers, we'll work with direct shippers, we'll work with customers and, um, you know, anyone who has goods that need to be moved from point A to point B, we, we are, um, primarily a long haul trucking company. We do some local and regional work, but most of it, our average trip is between 1,000 and 1,200 miles. Um, yeah. 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 So you know, it's, yeah. So it's at least two to two, two to two and a half days of work for for the driver on most most loads that we do. About sixty percent of it is refrigerated, twenty percent dry van, twenty percent flatbed. Hmm. Yeah. So. The flatbed people, they have to unload the truck too. Um. We our drivers don't do the loading or unloading. Um, but, uh, but with flatbed, sometimes there's tarping involved and, uh, that, that actually is part of why it's hard to recruit flatbed drivers because that, that is work that's tough. Andrew Pelham, is that name right? He's a not. Okay. I don't know. I don't know where he works, but. Yeah. I still don't know all of our drivers either. We've got about 120 of them, but. I'll ask him. He's a good friend of mine, but. I just thought of that. He's he just got this new job as a truck driver, and I don't know where it's at. Yeah, that'd be funny if you guys knew each other. But yeah, well, and I'm I'm definitely like I what I'd really like to do, especially because I'm I'm so involved with networking and everything, is I I'd like to you know bring in more direct customers for APL too. I'll definitely tell him about yeah. you because um, he's pretty. He likes this new job that he has, but he's been a truck driver for a while, and he's. Nice. Do you know if he's an owner operator or company driver? He's a company driver. Okay. He just—he's a young kid like yeah. me. He just got a CDL and just starting it out. And nice. Yeah. Well, if he's got a couple of passion spark drive though. Yeah. He if he's got a couple of years of experience, then uh, then being an owner operator might be something that would interest him. But I will say, owner operators can make stupid amounts of money. But would he need his own truck? No, we actually we we provide the truck and they le- they lease it until they own it. Um, we we have a lease purchase program. Um, I'm sending him this podcast. Yeah, and and I will say this, though. Like, there are, unfortunately, a lot of people in this industry live paycheck to paycheck when they really shouldn't need to. Um, A a truck driver who's an owner-operator can realistically gross well over a quarter million, sometimes as much as half a million dollars in a year before expenses, and the expenses are a lot. I'll, tell, I'll, I'll say that. You know, it's not a cheap industry to be in. Mm-hmm. But if they're smart about their finances and they and they pay themselves first and then set everything else aside into their piggy bank for the business, because that's what their truck is. It's a business. If they set aside money of, that's above and beyond their living expenses and set it aside in essentially escrow for themselves to tap into when the business needs it, like maybe you got engine trouble, maybe you got to get new tires, you know, et cetera. 
tap into the money that you already have instead of trying to make up for it with the loads that you're bringing in and you're trying to do these, you know, cash advances and payday loans and everything like that. Like, truckers should not be wanting for, for money ever. And that um, kind of goes with anyone and everyone. Absolutely, any yeah. Paycheck. And so when you're self-employed like an owner-operator is, um, you you got to decide what do I need to live on and, and take that money out of, out of your settlement every week or month or whenever you get paid. Anything else above and beyond that, do not touch it. <laughs> yeah. Until you get to a certain cushion, you know? Like, and, and if that cushion get, gets big enough that you feel like you can give yourself a bonus, hey, great, do it. But, like, the, the biggest mistake I see people make in this industry, um, and really in life in general, is that they, they just they don't set aside enough money for a rainy day mm-hmm. um, and so financial literacy is kind of I think going to be one of my one of my big mission points at APL and hopefully I can help help educate our drivers because like the driver recruiting and retention is in one of the departments that I'm overseeing and so I'm hoping that we can help educate uh, folks I, in that regard I'm not a huge Dave Ramsey guy but right now I'm doing the Dave Ramsey yeah the, the snowball method yeah, and everything the, like that. just trying to get debt free and then mm-hmm. figure it out from there but yeah. normally I do the I don't know if you heard the richest man in Babylon it's a famous book. Quote okay, quote. So, yeah. Um, I used to be heavy onto that one, and that's pretty much every paycheck you get, 10% invest, 20% mm-hmm. save, 10% is fun money. Right, yeah. Live on 55% of whatever you, and 5% you're supposed to just give away. Right. You're kind of an investment in mm-hmm. the community or whatever. But. Absolutely, and and philanthropy is you know, something we haven't really touched on here, but it's something very, very um near and dear to my heart it's i cannot say enough good things about what you just said is that you know if you set aside at least a little bit of what you can whether it's money time resources it's just paying yourself first as soon as you see put it out money, there put yeah. it where it needs to go yeah, whether you believe in karma or god or what or whatever it is you know and you know, the the bni philosophy is true giver's game Mm-hmm. You know, givers gain. I like that. You know, yeah. and whether whether it's donating your time or talents to to a nonprofit organization, uh, or or donating money because you have the means. You know, when when you give to others who are in need, you may think that you're doing them a favor, but it comes around. That's why they say. But you're doing yourself more of a favor than you really think, mm-hmm. and I think that there's there is some truth to altruism in that in that regard. And you just feel good about yourself. Too. Absolutely, you, you get that warm, fuzzy feeling, mm-hmm. um, and like we could we could do an entire podcast on philanthropy easily. This was a yeah, this was a good one. It's, it's, a, it's a, I don't know, I like that. So yeah, yeah. I, I know it's two hours long, and I don't know how many people will stick around and listen to it. Sure. <laughs> There's a lot to be learned from this podcast. I don't know. You got a lot Completely of agree. information Completely out there. Agree. You got a lot figured out yeah. for real. I, I, you know, and uh, I, I would I would agree to an extent. I have a lot figured out in terms of the advice I can give people, but I'm still trying to work through a yeah. lot of it myself. We so. all are. That's all. We have to do. Just stay, stay moving and growing, and yeah. you know, life works out for people with that kind of mindset so yeah i, I, I have to remind it. myself of my own advice sometimes yeah, that's that's yeah. for challenge <laughs> i say it for almost every podcast but i am excited for the next one next time we have you on here absolutely yeah so, and, and buy me back anytime i'm always happy to talk absolutely we'll, we'll end it here though because we're at yeah. two hours so. awesome. here appreciate you coming on yeah, yeah thanks guys love yeah let's connect love yeah let's connect love yeah let's connect 
Lafayette, let's connect. Oh, talking about my city. Let's be cool where you're not petty. Be real and you can ride with me. Oh, and this is the city. Oh, talking about my city. Let's be cool where you're not petty. Be real and you can ride with me. Oh, and this is the city. Lafayette, let's connect. Lafayette, let's connect. Lafayette, let's connect. Lafayette, let's connect.